1st in 2020. Uh, part of that, one of the most important things in our lives as far as putting Jesus first is, is in our finances. Finances is one of the things that I believe has more people held in bondage than any other thing. Uh, and keeps them from having the freedoms that God would want us to have in our life. And so this is a program that, that uh, is a biblical-based program that will help you with that and a great way to start off the new year. Well, I shared a story uh, in the early service this morning, and uh, uh, I told them after it was over, I said, only in the South could you probably share an illustration like this, and it'd be appreciated. But I read this story once about a grandpa and his grandson that was sitting on the front porch of their house. And uh, they were sitting out there enjoying the, the evening, and, and the grandpa had some hound dogs. He had six old hunting dogs that lived out there on the farm. And they were all laying under the porch where grandpa and the grandson were sitting, and they were just enjoying uh, the shade of the day. Uh, and just a little bit, about 50 yards out from where they were sitting, uh, a rabbit darted out of this brush pile and stopped and looked back at the house at uh, where they were, and then it bolted off into some underbrush there into thicker cover. Well, one of the dogs that was laying under the porch, he perked up, he looked up, he saw the rabbit, you know, cutting out across the yard there, and man, off he took after it, a little short bark, and then there, there he went. He was hot on its trail. Immediately after, the other five dogs that were there under the porch with him, they jumped to their feet, you know, yapping and barking excitedly, and they take off after, uh, in pursuit of the first dog that, that took off there. Grandpa's sitting there, and he tells his grandson, he said, son, he said, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. He said, one of those dogs, in about 10 minutes, one of those dogs is going to come back, and he's going to have his head hanging and his tongue hanging out, and he's going to be, you know, gasping for breath. One by one, they're all going to come back with their, their tongues hanging out. And he said, but in about 30 minutes, he said, that first dog is going to come back with that rabbit in its mouth. And sure enough, in just a few minutes, that's what happened. They all began to come back, and then the lead dog came back with a rabbit in its mouth, and the grand said, Grandpa, how did you know that that was what was going to happen, that that was what was going to take place? And Grandpa replied, he said, because that first dog, well, he's the only one who actually saw the rabbit. And the writer went on to say after that illustration, he said, you know, the others, what were they doing? They were just running behind, yapping and excited, but they never saw the, the rabbit. They just knew that there was some excitement going on. And the writer went on to add that there are a lot of people in the church today, much like those five dogs. He said, they get caught up in the passion of an exciting service. They get caught up in the excitement of a new program. Uh, they get caught up in the excitement of a great sermon, and they start to yap, and they start to run, and they're all excited. But by one by one, they come back with their head hung low, their tongue hanging out, wishing things were the way that they used to be. He said, but it's only those who see the rabbit. It's only those who see the rabbit that keep running until 
they catch it. Church, my prayer for us today is that we all see the rabbit. My prayer is that you see the rabbit because seeing Jesus and putting Jesus first and being in full pursuit of Him and who He is is the only thing that will push you through the sacrifice. It's the only thing that will push you through the weariness of of being on this journey here on this earth. It's the only thing that will push you through the hard work that it takes to do the Lord's work while we're here. And that's getting a glimpse of Him and pursuing Him and putting Jesus first in our hearts and in our lives. And, and let me be clear, some of you have, right? Some of you get that. I, I, I love watching some of you put Jesus first in your lives and you get it. And I want to commend you for that and tell you you're doing an awesome job uh, by doing that. I don't want you to feel like uh, I'm scolding you because some of you are getting it right. Some of you are doing it right. Some of you are putting Jesus first, and it shows. And you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to serve. You're willing to do whatever it takes to win the loss and to minister to those around you. So those of you that are getting it right, thank you. I want to commend you for doing an awesome job. And I don't think you're offended by messages or series like we're preaching, challenging other people uh, to put Jesus first. Kind of reminds me of a... Uh, of another story I heard about three guys that were supposed to be digging a ditch. Only one of them was actually doing the digging. The other two were leaning on the shovel. The foreman walked up and yelled, get to work. The guy digging the ditch wasn't offended, was he? He was grateful. (laughs) And so some of you this morning that are putting Jesus first and running hard, you're grateful Uh, that we're calling others to join you in digging the ditch, calling others to join you uh, in digging the well. Uh, I want you, all of you, to see the rabbit because I want all of us digging the well. And if you weren't here last week, we looked at this old Chinese proverb that said this, those who drink the water must remember those who dug the well. Those who drink the water must remember those who dug the well. And we looked at some characteristics last week of those who dug the well and what their lives were like and some of the characteristics of those who dug the well compared to some of the tendencies, perhaps, of those of us who have the benefit of drinking the water from the well. Well, this week we're going to continue to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians here. I believe we'll get a glimpse of what moved and what motivated uh, those who dug the well before us. And I told you last week that one of the questions that Paul's answering in this letter to the Colossians, one of the questions that he's uh, answering was their concern about why it seems like Paul was always going through some sort of suffering, right? Uh, Their question basically was this. They were wondering if Paul was really God's messenger because if Paul was God's man, if Paul was God's messenger and he's the one being sent to be the leader and, you know, the the point guy for the gospel message being uh, communicated and dispersed all across the land, why does it seem that he's always in jail? You know, why, why did it seem like he was always being arrested? Why did it always seem like he was going through something bad and they were always getting bad news uh, uh, about Paul? Why does it seem that he's always suffering? And why doesn't that in, uh, discourage him from doing 
what it is that he's doing. Well, starting here in verse 24, where we're going to pick it up this morning, we're going to see Paul answer their questions. Uh, and we're just going to walk through this a little at a time today and see what we can dig out of it that might help us today, help us to see how we need to put Jesus first in our own lives as well and what that looks like. So let's pick it up today here in chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I'm going to stop there. Like I said, we're going to go through this slowly, take a little bit at a time. How do, you, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? And so I want to stop here for a minute and admit that, you know, this first phrase here in this passage is a little confusing at first glance because it almost would appear that Paul gets some kind of warped joy out of suffering, that Paul would somehow in some way enjoy suffering. I mean, uh, do, do, does Paul really enjoy being in jail? Is prison a place that he prefers to be? You know, or was it just that he was so spiritual that he didn't care about trivial things like freedom or a hot, good cooked meal or his knife-soft bed uh, to sleep in? Well, I'm going to say that Paul loved those things just as much as you and I love those things. I'm going to say that Paul appreciated freedom and being able to be free. I'm going to say Paul loved to be free rather than to be in jail. I'm going to say that Paul enjoyed a good cooked uh, hot meal, and he enjoyed those meals a whole lot better than whatever it was that he was getting in prison. And I'm going to say that Paul probably enjoyed a comfortable bed. And I'm going to say that there probably weren't many comfortable beds in the jails that he spent his time in. I'm going to say that Paul loved those things just as much as you and I love and appreciate those things. But here's the deal. Here's something that Paul knew. And this is the lesson that Paul's trying to teach the church. And I believe he would have us to learn it today as well. Is this. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something that you love even more. Let me say that again. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. And don't miss this. Paul loved seeing people come to know Christ. Paul loved to see people become followers of Jesus. Paul loved to see people's lives transformed by this message of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul had experienced it in his own life. A remarkable and incredible transformation that had happened in his life. And not only had it happened in his life, but now as he shares this with other people, he's seen it transform and change other people's lives. And he was excited about that. He loved to see people come to know Jesus even more so, don't miss this, than his personal comforts. Even more so than his personal uh, freedoms. And Paul was like this. If I have to give up the good stuff, right? What the world considers to be good stuff. If I have to give up comfort. If I have to give up my freedom. If I have to sacrifice. If I have to suffer so that other people would know Christ and be changed by him the way that I have. It's all worth it. That'd be a good place to say amen. All right, I know Frank and Dory came to early service today and is throwing y'all off. 
Somebody needs to take the lead. What are we going to do when, when Frank and Dory are gone? We're just going to sit here like knots on a log? <clears throat> help. Help me. I preach faster when you're helping me. All right? <clears throat> All right, Paul's saying, you know, I've seen the power of Jesus Christ and the difference that he can make in people's lives, and I will happily sacrifice. I will happily suffer. I will happily jump in the ditch and dig the well so that other people may know him. There may be sacrifice. There may be pain. But in the end, friends, I'm here to tell you, putting Jesus first is worth it. It is worth it. Some have uh, compared this to kind of like childbirth. And I, I'm sure that you've probably heard some people share the birth uh, of their child as a beautiful experience, right? You've heard people explain it like that. It's something beautiful that, that takes place. But I can tell you right now, I was in the room when the twins were born, and there wasn't anything beautiful about that. And for some whacked-out reason, we had Carla, Lynette's friend Carla uh, uh, Hillis, uh, was in the room with us. She's filming it, and I'm taking pictures. And I'm like, what kind of sick people? I want a video of this or pictures of this, you know. There wasn't anything beautiful about that. Uh, And who in the world is going to go through all that voluntarily and then call it beautiful. Well, I'm going to say most of the moms that are in this room today, right, would say that it was a beautiful thing, right? Because they look past the pain. that They look past the suffering. They look past all that, and they say to their child, if that's what it took to bring you into the world, and so that I can have a relationship like this with you, then it was all worth it. And it was a beautiful thing. And that's what Paul's basically saying to the Colossians. It is all worth it. This is how I feel about you spiritually. The sacrifice, the pain, the suffering. I rejoice in that because I know what it is creating. I, 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 I celebrate. I rejoice in the sacrifice. I rejoice in the, the hours spent. I rejoice in all the things that I had to go through because I see the fruit. I know what is coming. I know that if I will dig the well that a lot of people are going to get to drink from it in the days ahead. And he says, so I rejoice in my suffering because I know what is being produced. I'll do whatever it takes pay whatever it costs for you to know Jesus. Putting Jesus first means giving up something you love for something that you love even more. And so let me ask you this morning, does this describe you? Is this how you feel about Jesus? Is this how you feel about what's going on in the church today? Because we established last week that Jesus is the head, right? He's the head of the body. And the church is the what? The body. And if we put Jesus first, the body will be first as well. So are you rejoicing in the sacrifices that you have made for Jesus? Are you rejoicing in the sacrifices that you have made for the body of Christ because of what you see God doing in and through your sacrifices and your sufferings in the lives of others for His glory? Or have you entered into 2020 with apprehension? 
apprehension uh, or, or some sort of dread, fearing what God might make you do if you were to put Him first. Last week, nearly everyone in the room stood and put their yes on the table when you were challenged and called to put Jesus first in 2020. But how many of you had apprehensions about what that would mean for you or what that would mean for your family? Would that mean sacrifice? Would that mean having to give up something that you love for something that you loved uh, even more? But in all truth, you know, we, can, we, can, uh, we think that we can relate with Paul, right? I mean, we know what it means to suffer for Jesus, don't we? I mean, some of you, uh, it's kind of crowded here today, so I'm sure you had to park in the back of the parking lot, and you had to walk, you know, 50 yards to the church in 34-degree weather. You know what it's like to suffer for Jesus, right? And then you got in here, or you didn't get the prime spot back there, you know, in the back, and you had to park under, in bird poop row up here on the right. Huh? The visitors that don't know, they'll figure it out. They keep coming back, and you had to park there, and now you know you're going to have to go wash your car when you get done. All right, we know what it's like to suffer for Jesus. And then you get in here, all right? They not only sing one song you don't like, but they sing two that you didn't like, right? You're suffering. You're suffering uh, for Jesus. And then, heaven forbid, someone asks you to work in the nursery or be a greeter. That's really suffering for Jesus, right? A lot of folks in the church don't like to hear sermons like this. A lot of folks in churches today don't like to hear series like this that we're doing where we're challenged to make sacrifices, where we're challenged to give up something we love for something that we're called to love much more. Because for the most part, the culture that we live in today, people want to come to church and they want to hear an inspirational message and they want to connect with their friends and they want their kids to have a good time and experience something fun, and then they want to go home. And if that doesn't happen, then they will look for a church that does those things so that they can be happy and they can be comfortable in the lives that they're living. Those who dug the well that you and I drink from today, those who put Jesus first before you and I, they expected to have to make a personal sacrifice. They didn't join the body of Christ expecting personal comfort. They expected knowing that it was going to come with a great cost to them. And they rejoiced in it because they could see what was being produced. They rejoiced in it because they knew the difference that Jesus had made in their lives. They rejoiced in it because they wanted other people's lives to be changed and be transformed the way that their lives had been changed and transformed, the way that their family had been changed and transformed, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get the well dug so that others might drink from it. The ones who came before us that put Jesus first They rejoiced in it because they knew that it was worth it. Many sacrificed so that we could enjoy today what we enjoy 
and it all led to this. And I don't know about you, but I want to make more, I want to make more of this movement possible for those who come behind us. I want more of God's blessings to be available to those who follow us. I want more stories to be written. I want more lives to be changed. I don't want it just to end with us as some beautiful story of what God did in the Greenbrier Nazarene Church in the, in the 1900s and the 2000s. Right, I want it to go on. I want it to continue on. And I want to be a part uh, of digging that well. I want there to be more possible. So Paul says here, I am far from being discouraged because I've had to make a few sacrifices. I am far from being discouraged because I've had to suffer a little bit. He said, because I rejoice in what Jesus is doing. I rejoice in what I'm able to be a part of while I'm here just this short time here on earth. I rejoice in whatever it is that I have to go through so that he may increase and I may decrease. It's all about Jesus and putting him first. And then he goes on to say, finally, we're going to get past the first five words. Right, Verse 24, he goes on to say, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Again, the church and the body all being associated here. Right Now on the surface, this is another statement that Paul makes here that is kind of difficult to understand because what possibly could be lacking in the afflictions that Jesus went through. I mean, what possibly could be lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? I mean, did Jesus not say from the cross, it is finished? Right? Hasn't he done everything so that you and I might be saved? So why would Paul say here that something was lacking? Well, in one sense... You know, the work of salvation is complete. Jesus has done everything necessary to save us. But in another sense, that does not complete the saving act, right? The saving act is not complete until when? Until we have heard it and we respond to it, right? It's not complete until we have heard and we respond. Martin Luther once said it like this. It wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard it. It wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever heard about it. It wouldn't matter if he died a thousand times on the cross and was risen a thousand times from the grave if no one ever heard about it and knew what it meant for them. Paul says Christ's sufferings are not complete in its fullest sense until people have heard it and have an opportunity to respond. And he says, if it takes me suffering to bring that to pass so that people can hear it and have an opportunity to respond, he said, then I'll gladly go through it. Because how else will they hear if we do not preach? And he says, so I will gladly go through it. And I get that this isn't, you know, uh, talking about suffering and sacrifice. It isn't popular in the church today. I get it, right? I know that, you know, this is probably not how a pastor ought to be preaching to build numbers in a church, you know. If they, and, and a lot of churches, that's what they're about. They're about building and, you know, all that. So I get that this isn't popular, but friends, let me tell you something. It's the truth, all right? It's the truth that salvation came through suffering. 
Suffering is the means by which God has brought salvation into the world. Most today want it by prosperity and by blessing, but it only comes through sacrifice. It only comes through sacrifice. So let me ask you this today. What did it cost you to receive the free gift of salvation? Nothing. That's why it's called a free gift. Cost you absolutely nothing to receive the gift of salvation if you have accepted Jesus. Right? Cost you nothing. Jesus paid it all. But here's the deal. Now... Are you willing to do whatever it takes so others may receive it? It costs you nothing. So now, are you willing to do whatever it takes so that someone else may hear about and have the opportunity to respond and receive this free gift? Because, folks, let me ask you something. Isn't that what we owe the gospel? Isn't that what we owe? I mean, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. How could we have received this extravagant gift of eternal life? This extravagant gift of grace that has transformed and changed our lives and made us new. How could we receive this gift of grace, forgiveness, and salvation and do nothing to get it to other people so that they can hear it? Don't we owe it to them? Don't we owe it to Him? To share it at all costs. We owe an incredible debt. Yes, Jesus paid it all, and yes, all to Him We owe. So Paul continues, For this reason I have become its servant. Again, putting Jesus first will make us a servant. Now, there are other translations that I read when I was studying this. I think the the ESV, instead of servant, said minister. But all the studying that I did, you know, Minister is not really a good translation because that would believe, uh, lead you to believe that it's some sort of professional position. This is a common word, servant, that could describe anyone. And so I ask you this morning, is this primarily how you see yourself in relationship with God? As a servant. Do you see yourself as a servant of the church? Or the beneficiary of the church. Do you see yourself as a servant of the church or a beneficiary of the church? Do you come to church saying, what can this church do for me? Or do you come saying, what role am I supposed to play in the church? And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with benefiting from it. We want to be a blessing to you and your family. But which is the most important? Are you primarily a servant of the mission of the church or a beneficiary of the ministries of the church? Paul says here in verse 25, I have become its servant. The church's servant. 
by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That word commission there, don't miss this. It's this idea of an individual assignment. Something that has been given specifically to you. God doesn't give this, you know, big, general, global mission to the church in general, but He has a commission for you. It's kind of like, if you will, uh, when you're in school, and some of you are still in school, when the teacher would come in and give the class an assignment, right? The teacher expected every individual in the class to complete the assignment, right? We didn't just assume because she was giving the class an assignment, that if any one person in the class would do the assignment, then the assignment was completed for the entire classroom, right? It was an assignment that was given to the whole class, but it was an individual assignment. You know, this is exactly what uh, uh, this scripture is speaking to here. God doesn't just have a, a big assignment for the global church, but it's an individual assignment that each of us has. He has a purpose for you. We saw it last week. You were created through Him and for Him. You were created through Him and for Him, so that means this. He has a purpose for you. Not only does that it mean that he has a purpose for you, but it also, let's drill down a little bit deeper, he has a purpose for your time. He has a purpose for your uh, relationships that you're in with other people. He has a purpose for your position, perhaps where you work or where you serve out in the community. He has a purpose for, oh yeah, we'll go here. Your treasures. He has a purpose for all of these things because it all came through Him and for Him. It was all created through Him and for Him. So He has a purpose for all these things in your life. He has a purpose for all these things in the church. And it's a commission, an assignment specifically and individually, to you. And it's the kind of thing that if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Right? Because Scripture is very clear that the body consists of many different parts. And it takes every part working together for the body to be complete and the body to be healthy. And if you're not doing your part, then that part's just not getting done. For, for whatever reason, I don't know, when I was preparing this, my mind immediately went to those pictures that you see uh, people share on Facebook and all over that says you had one job, you know, and then there's like a misspelled word in the middle of the road or whatever like that. I kid you not, for 30 minutes I spent Googling, uh, looking at pictures on Google of you had one job, and I was going to post them, and then I thought, no, I'll get totally distracted by that, and I already have. I, wouldn't even, I don't even know why I just shared that, but... Uh, but you have one job, right? And it's your individual assignment. You were created through Him and for Him to use your time, to use your position, to use your treasure and your talent for the purposes that God assigned you and God gave you. This is what Paul talks about here when he says he is commissioned. All right? Basically, when, when 
you are being sent out from here uh, every Sunday. You know, I talk about you're going to be the church. You're not leaving church. You're going to be the church. And I pray that you'll be the church out there. Basically, we're sending you with a commission. We're sending you with this assignment uh, every Sunday when you leave here. Can I just ask you today a personal question? Are you fulfilling your commission? Are you fulfilling your commission? Because each of us has an individual assignment in the body of Christ. Are you fulfilling your assignment? Those who dug the well before us fulfilled their assignment, folks. They fulfilled their assignment. They understood the cost. They understood the sacrifice. They understood that sometimes it wasn't going to be easy. But they put Jesus first and they completed their assignment. And I know I need to wrap up this morning. So I want to go ahead and skip down to verse number 28. Because Paul goes on to say this. He's talking about Christ. He says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And here's the deal. The same commission that Paul had is the one that I have. It's my assignment as well. Jesus is the one I proclaim. He is the one I proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone. Not sugarcoating it. Not telling you what you really want to hear, but sharing with you the truth. Paul says, why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Folks, it is my responsibility. One day, I will... I, oh, oh, help us. I'm going to have to present every one of you. <clears throat> my assignment is to present you fully matured in Christ. So I can't beat around the bush and I can't sugarcoat it. we got to get this thing done because there's a long way to go for some of you to be presented. Some of you, I'm just going to go, they went to Freddie Mark's church. I don't... I, <laughs> You know, I couldn't help them, you know. That's my assignment. You see why I preach my guts out up here? Because my assignment is to present you fully mature in Christ. As your pastor, that's my goal, is to be able to present you that way. That's what this series is about. So I stand with Paul. I join with Paul and all the saints who have gone before us that dug the wells that we drink from today. And I call you, I challenge you to put Jesus first in 2020. Put Jesus first. You know, and I'm not standing up here trying to, to manipulate you to get you to attend church more often. I understand how important church is to you. I understand how important church is to your family. And I want to stress to you the importance of putting Jesus first is also putting the church first in your hearts and in your lives. I'm not standing up here trying to manipulate you to, so that our numbers will be bigger, so that I might get a raise or I might get a promotion or I might get a bigger church someday because I was able to get more people to come here. Right? It's not about that. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I care about you. I want to present you mature in Christ. Right? So I'm not trying to manipulate you to get you to come more often. I'm not standing up here to try to guilt, guilt you into giving more money. Although, if you're putting Jesus first, I'm telling you, you'll see him at work in and through your money. That's a whole other deal. That's why we're offering you Financial Peace University, folks. Some of you have been held in bondage by your finances, your bank account, and your debt. 
And Jesus says, i got so much more for you. That's not God's plan for your lives. But I'm not trying to guilt you into giving more money. That's not what this is about. Friends, I love you with all my heart. And I truly want you to see the rabbit. Huh? I want you to see Jesus for who he is. And he's not just some distant somebody out there. He is your Savior who came to this earth and he died and was beaten and was bruised and bled on a cruel cross of Calvary so that you might be saved. And it was a free gift to you. That's who he is to you. And he's not just out there watching to make sure you're getting it right. He now, if you've accepted him, he now lives in your heart. And he is awesome. And he is your help. And he's leading you. And he's guiding you. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to use you. Somebody told me the other day, people just need to know that Jesus is cool. I agree. He is awesome. He is real. He is here. He is risen. And we, once we see Him, we will chase after Him until we catch it. Until we catch Him, we will run after Him. And can I tell you something that's going to happen in the chase, in the pursuit, while we've got our eyes on Him and we've seen Him and we're chasing out after Him, oh, by the way, with reckless abandon, you know what will happen? We'll begin to run into people that he would have us to run into in our lives. We'll begin to run into things that he would have us to run into in our lives when we are chasing after him. Church, my prayer for you today, my prayer for me today, is that we would see the rabbit. We would see Jesus first, and we would pursue him with reckless abandon in 2020 as a church, as individuals, as your family together. I would love nothing more than to stand proudly before the throne one day and say, I present them, every single one, to you, mature in Christ. This morning, we're going to close with a time of prayer. And if you would like to come and pray, maybe something's going on in your life or your family, and you would just like to come and pray about that today or or bring that to this altar, I invite you to come. Maybe some of you today would just like to come and bring that commitment. Last week we had you stand at the end of service, putting your yes on the table, saying I will put Jesus first in 2020. Maybe you just want to come this morning, nail that down here at the altar today. Or maybe you'd like to come pray for someone or with someone. I invite you to come, but we're all going to close together here with a word of prayer this morning. And if you would like to come, come now. God, this morning we've sang about your goodness. We've sang about your love. We've sang about the blessing of a Savior. We've sang only Jesus. But God, it's so easy to get distracted when we go out from this building. It's difficult to make it about only Jesus out there. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of uh, things that would get us 
sidetracked. But God, I thank you for this awesome reminder today from your great apostle, Paul. Man, a guy who knew what it meant to suffer. A guy who knew what it meant to sacrifice. He's encouraging us today. We kind of take it as a hard message, but I believe today it's really an inspirational message. An encouraging message for us as the church. Hey, it's worth it. The sacrifice, the suffering, the pain, whatever it is that you're going through right now, it's worth it because on the other side of that other side of that pain is a testimony to what Jesus has done in your life and how Jesus carried you through that and how Jesus provided how you had faith in only Jesus because you had no one else or anywhere else to place your faith or turn. And God, what an awesome testimony so many of us have today of the work that you've done in our life. God, mainly the salvation that you've provided, but not just the salvation, but the transformation that comes along with being made a new creature in Christ. It's a radical change. I've seen it in so many people's lives, and it's so exciting. And when we see that, God, we, we should be even more committed to doing whatever it takes to get the good news of Jesus to other people in this community. And not just this community, but all around the world. There's people's lives who need to be transformed. There's people's lives that be, need to be changed. And God, I pray that we would look upon those people not with uh, condemnation, and not with hatred, and not... Uh, as if they're on the wrong team and they're on the wrong side uh, yet uh, so, so we don't like them and we're against them but God that the only reason they're not living their lives the way they're supposed to be living their lives is because they don't know you they haven't come into a relationship with you so how can they know the difference if we don't share you and what you've done in our lives and what you want to do in their life in in their lives as well god that's our assignment is to go out from here and to do that forgive us if we've not been excited about that task forgive us if we failed at our assignment or we've not been faithful or obedient to us because god again you paid it all all to you we owe often we live our lives like all to the bank we owe all to the mortgage company we owe. God, and we've gotten things so out of line and so out of whack. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to see how and how important it is and the need for us to put you first in all things in our lives. God, because if we put you first, everything else will take care of itself and it'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it. I thank you for those faithful ones who have gone before, again, those who dug the well. Those who laid the groundwork and sacrificed and gave and did whatever it took so that we might enjoy what we enjoy here today. But God, I pray that we would learn from them that putting Jesus first isn't just about our personal comfort. But we should expect some sacrifice. We should expect personal commitment. God, and that you would find us faithful in and through that. I pray for those that are here today that are hurting, that are going through difficult situations and difficult times, families in our church that have lost loved ones, families in our church that are standing around the bedside of loved ones whose lives are quickly passing away. 
God, those who have children that are on the wrong track, on the wrong path, and they're here praying for their lives to be changed and restored. God, you know the needs that your people bring to these altars and to your throne today. So we join with them in bringing our petitions and our needs and our cares and our concerns to you. And we're so grateful and thankful that you care and that we can bring them to you. I pray that you would be God in every situation, that you would be glorified. God, that you would use us in some way to change that situation through our testimony, through our story, through our actions. And if not us, somebody. Put somebody in their life, somebody in their situation so that they could see you, see your glory, and see your goodness in their life. And see the importance of having a relationship with you. God, I thank you so much. We pray for these other churches in our community. And it's so sad to me that sometimes churches look down the road and they see other churches as competition or we're up against them or we don't agree with them. And God, I, I just pray for all our brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that you are the son, Jesus is the Son of God, that you came to this earth and you died on the cross for our sins and you were dead, buried, and resurrected. And we proclaim the good news of that message to this world. God, we join with them to build the kingdom of God here in Greenbrier, Arkansas. Bless their ministries. Bless their congregations and their pastors. May a revival begin and spread, not just in the Nazarene church, but in all the churches across this community and across this land that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. God, give them souls for their faithfulness. Give them souls for their obedience. Do a, do a mighty work in their hearts and in their lives and in their families so that you would be glorified. The church would be unified under the name of Jesus Christ and that blood, that precious blood, that powerful blood that changes everything. God, now as we go from here, we need your help and thankfully you've given us the help through the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit. We would listen for your Holy Spirit. We would be guided by your Holy Spirit. And we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit as we leave this place to be the church that you've called us to be. Every single one of us has an individual assignment as we go out those doors today. Find us faithful. Find us obedient. God, again, we love you. And we thank you for your extraordinary love the amazing love that you've shown us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen. God bless you all. I love you so much.